Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 225 of the In Squash podcast. That's right, 225 episodes deep. We were just off of the Noran Gohar episode, which I thought was epic, and we've got another one right here for you. World number 15 on the men's tour and current men's president of the PSA, Sorif Gosal, and we have a tremendous chat. Sorif, really, uh, this is the second time uh, he's been on the pod, and I really like Sorif. He, uh, we have a great chat about uh, last season, uh, what a great season he had, and uh, in my opinion, uh, I thought it was uh, perhaps his best season to date, uh, despite being uh, at the age of 35. In, in the latter years, one might think of his squash career, but uh, I think he's built, he built up quite a bit of momentum heading into the upcoming season, and I'm excited to see uh, how it plays out for him. Uh, so we talk about that. We also talk about him having taken over as PSA men's president from Ali Farag and therefore uh, becoming a member of the PSA board of directors and what that role entails. And this is going to answer quite a few questions because there's some conspiracy theorists there on the uh, on the squash forums who, who have uh, some thoughts on what that might mean. And uh, we're definitely going to get into that. Uh, and he tells us all about his role and uh, what he does in that position, an exciting position for him to represent the players on the PSA as the ma- represent the male players, anyways, uh, along with uh, S.J. Perry, who is on the women's, uh, who's the women's president on the other side. So uh, we have a great uh, chat about that. We talk about officiating, growing the game again, a really important topic, uh, and so much more with Sorf Gosel here on episode 225. Now, before we get into that episode, uh, in case you missed our last episode. We have a new uh, sponsor here on the podcast, and it's Open Squash, a New York-based nonprofit that is dedicated to growing the game of squash by making it more accessible and affordable to everyone and bringing thousands of new people into the sport, something any listener of this pod knows that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, We talk about growing the game all the time. I make a point of doing that in Open Squash. uh, That's their priority. So Open Squash already has a thriving community uh, squash center in the heart of Manhattan with hundreds of members and where over 20% of its members are on some kind of income-based discount. Now Open Squash has already signed leases to build and operate two more community squash centers in New York City over the next couple of years, after which it will have 23, that's right, 23 courts and counting, pre-sales and marketing, for those facilities will start in the coming months with the same income-based discounts. So listeners in New York City, please watch out for more information. Indeed, the passionate executive director of Open Squash, Cleve Miller, will appear on the pod very soon. In fact, I think we scheduled it for the end of September. Really looking forward to that one. So he'll be here to flesh all of this out for us. And last but not least, Open Squash has developed close relationships with some of the top leaders of the squash world who uh, share Open Squash's mission, many of whom have appeared on this podcast. Mike Way, the incredible successful coach at Harvard, is the senior advisor to Open Squash and visits Open Squash regularly to host camps and clinics when he can and of course i can't fail to mention that open squash is sponsoring some of the psa's pros including ali farag gina kennedy nathan lake victor quinn and ali uh, sorry haley uh, mendez all uh, who have all committed to the same mission of making the sport more accessible and each in their own way helping open squash advance their important cause so 
Again, I'd like to welcome Open Squash to the In Squash podcast and very honored to have them as a sponsor and looking forward to the future working with them and having, of course, uh, Cleve uh, Miller on uh, at the end of the month to flesh it all out again. We've also had Gina Kennedy on recently, uh, well, a few months back, Ali Frag. We've had, I think, every one of uh, their sponsor players that were mentioned there, except Nathan. Jeez, uh, yes, I should get uh, Nathan on. Uh, he's a he's one of my favorite players to watch. Actually, big guy with great hands uh, around the court, moves well, uh, very athletic for for a big man, and uh, love watching him play. Uh, so uh, yeah, let's uh, let's have Nathan Lake on soon. So, uh, anyways, but today uh, it's all about Sorif Gosal, episode two twenty five. Hey, Joe. hey, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, good to see you, Sarf. It's been, uh, I think, about two years. We did we did a yeah. podcast uh, in uh, 2019, I believe. Yeah, it's almost three years now. Like I'm flying. Early days for, for, the, uh, for the podcast, but it seems like yesterday, doesn't it? Time flies. So. I know. Yeah. Hope you're well. Yeah, you too, man. You too. Uh, uh, just uh, how's your summer been going? Uh, it just seems like... Um, with the squash season last season anyways and you'll, you'll be probably you'll probably agree with this it just seemed to be event after event after event and then you didn't really have much of a break because you had to prepare for the commonwealth games and then after that i guess you had a, li- a little bit of a reprieve but uh how's the summer been uh for you obviously the games went well yeah i mean it's been uh it's been hectic like you said you know like this. Uh, a lot of events on tour, which is a good problem to have. Um, I took a little bit of a break after Elguna, like a uh, couple of weeks, but then I had a good like seven, eight week block before the Commonwealth Games, which was good. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is now. Uh, you know, it's you kind of have to schedule uh, your your calendar as best you can uh, to give yourself small breaks in the middle uh, and not overplay yourself. Um, so that's that's an art. Uh, but it's a bit, bit of a trial and error, but you try and do the best you can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, I think the last time you were on, I told you uh, that we'd actually met uh, in, in, not in Chun, in um, Busan for the Asian Games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you were you were quite young uh, at that time. I, I, you were maybe 18, I don't, I don't know, 17, 18? No, I think I was, yeah, like 18, 19, yeah. Yeah, yeah, early days back then. But uh, you're a vet now, 36 uh, years old. And I'm sure, like for you, taking that time off is probably something that you relish. It's not, uh, and you probably don't really miss that much when it comes to the training part of it. Uh, is that accurate? Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that I feel is quite important for me because I think it uh, obviously helps and gives my, time, gives my body the time to recover. Um, and then also for my mind to kind of just go away from the game a little bit and kind of recharge so that I can come back feeling fresh and uh, feeling excited to play again. Uh, and I think that's really important for me as a player to be, uh, you know, to be wanting to play, uh, you know, uh, on court because I'm someone who likes to express myself. And if, if I feel like jaded and stale, then it gets very hard uh, for me to do the things that, that I want to do. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I took the summer off basically, uh, obviously I'm not, uh, 
what doing what you're doing for a living, but uh, put the racket away, put the podcast away for about four weeks. And when I came back here, it's been full steam ahead. I feel great. I've, I feel like a million dollars. So I know what you mean in, in a way. Uh, it feels great to get, if, after you take a break, to get back at it, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's a nice feeling. You know, it also keeps, uh, you know, the love for the game intact. Uh, it's like, you know, they say... Uh, uh, time away makes the heart go fonder. Uh, so, so it's something of a similar, um, similar analogy, similar process. Um, and I think it's important, you know, because obviously there's so many miles in our legs, in our heads, uh, with the amount of squash we've played uh, through our lives that uh, you need that time off to kind of just get away a little bit. And, and it helps you just maybe see things a little bit differently regarding your own game and what you can do, uh, what you can kind of add, um, gives you new ideas to, to try out when you come back, um, you know, whether it be, you know, tactically or even technically to you kind know, of try different things out. Uh, and I think that's always healthy and uh, it helps you grow as a player. So, so, yeah, I think it's a good thing to do. For sure. I'm going to talk to you a little bit later about last season, but you you had a real, I, I felt a pretty good season in 2021-22, a bit of a resurgence, a couple of probably matches you wish you could have back, but overall uh, it, it looked pretty good. We'll get to there in, in a minute though. I want to talk about the games first. Uh, congratulations on uh, becoming the first uh, Indian male to bring home a medal. Uh, you got the bronze there after a good win over Greg, uh, there in the uh, to get to the, the to the podium uh, to get the bronze, uh, and then also with your sister-in-law, if I'm not mistaken, you won the uh, the bronze in the mixed double. So that that must have been fantastic uh, to to bring to the family dinner table a couple of medals from the uh, the Commonwealth Games. So overall, uh, uh, what was the experience like for you in Birmingham? I think firstly, uh, a lot of credit to to Birmingham as a city uh, for for hosting a brilliant games. I think it was very very well done. Um, uh, something that really stood out for me was every single person I met, whether it be a volunteer or just another person in Birmingham, was really amped up for these games. Uh, the vibe that they had, uh, you know, that they brought to the games was was supercharged, and everyone was so excited and enthusiastic about every sport and I think that provided um, a really really good background for every athlete in Birmingham to produce probably their best uh, performances that they could and um, I think if you look at the squash I think the quality on offer from from everyone involved was was top-notch and uh, I think it was a very very successful event uh, for squash as a sport uh, you know both in terms of you know, the presentation of it, where the arena was, the, the spectators, uh, the quality of play from us players um, and just pure entertainment. I think it was it was great. And um, I think those two weeks that I spent in Birmingham will, will definitely kind of uh, be something that I will uh, cherish for a very long time and remember for a very long time. Um, and this is apart from the fact that, like you said, you know, of course, winning the the individual bronze is, is is huge for me personally and for Indian squash uh, being the first ever. Uh, winning a medal with, with Deepika is, is also special. Um, of course, um, I would have liked both those gold, those medals to be gold, but uh, it is what it is. Um, um, I'm, I'm proud and happy that I, that I managed to win those two at least. Uh, but, you know, it's still, uh, 
still means that there are things that I can get better and then and, and improve on. And then hopefully I will, I will do that in the, in the months to come. Yeah, I know, uh, speaking from a Canadian perspective, uh, I had uh, Holly on. She was the last episode I did before uh, I took my summer break. And uh, as you know, she really did well. She got, she got to, the, to, the, to the gold medal match, lost there. But uh, she got a lot of really, really good press. She was chosen to be the flag bearer for Canada in the closing uh, ceremonies. And that got tremendous uh, coverage uh, in the Canadian media which is fantastic for squash with the Olympic bid and, and stuff coming up. How about you and uh, Topeka when you came back uh, following this? Uh, was there uh, a bit of uh, coverage in the mainstream media, not necess- not just the squash media for you guys? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, every time we've done well, the mainstream media in India has, uh, has been uh, pretty supportive. Uh, I think they've done a good job, and, and this, this time was no different. Uh, I think... Uh, I think this time there was added incentive with the, the historic first individual medal as well uh, in the yeah. in the single. Um, so I think that helped matters and and yeah, I mean uh, you know in India obviously cricket is is the biggest sport, but I would like to say that over the last five to ten years, uh, a lot of the other sports are getting um, kind of their due recognition in the press uh, to a great extent. I think that's uh, reflected in you know the better performances that we have from so many different sports um, at the world level. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons. Also, I think the government has done well over the last uh, decade or so to support different sports and different athletes from different sports uh, to make um, you know it possible for for all of us to you know train at places where we need to to be the best we can and. Uh, I think all those things are coming together now and, and the, the trend is definitely upward for Indian sport in general. And, and hopefully it'll keep going that way and, and, and we will keep getting better over the next few years. That's really good news. It was, as I said, really positive to see uh, CBC Canada covering uh, Holly and uh, you know her, her great result there and getting the flag bearer uh, that as well. So uh, really great to see squash uh, uh, getting some media coverage there. Obviously, Paul uh, Paul Cole and Joel, who who managed to get two medal gold medals as well. Uh, so great stuff uh, across the the globe uh, there. Now, sir, if you've got, uh, uh, I guess you're back. You've been back in India, sort of doing a bit of uh, top up training. I'm assuming uh, you mentioned you're leaving on the 31st. I'm assuming that's for uh, Doha, right? Heading yep. over to Doha. Okay, I wasn't. Uh, I didn't think you'd be going to Pontefract and then uh, Doha. That'd be a bit, bit too much travel. No, no. But uh, you're heading over to Doha. So uh, how how excited are you for uh, I guess 2022, 2023 to begin? And and I looking at the draw, I couldn't really tell. It was on on the uh, PSA website. It kind of looked like you've got a first round or second round match with Diego. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, the last time you guys played was a was absolutely incredible. Uh, so, uh, anyways, how how does how how does it all feel uh, leading up to uh, Doha? Yeah. Look, obviously, you know the Commonwealth Games is a big high. Um, it's um, it's it takes a bit of time to process it all after it's done. Um, thankfully, I have had that time. I think to to do that. Um, like I said. You know, there are things that I worked on uh, before the Commonwealths, which which I tried to execute uh, in Birmingham. And to a certain extent, I managed to do that, but there are, uh, I can do it better. And there are improvements that I can make on those fronts. And I think that's what 
um, is keeping me interested. Uh, that you know that the challenge of uh, being able to do things better and improving myself as a player, and um, the new season presents another opportunity uh, for me to to test out those improvements and 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 see how far I've come along uh, from uh, from where I started. And um, Qatar is is always uh, a fantastic tournament to play for us players. Uh, you know they um, they definitely. Uh, you know, put on a very, very good event. Um, and uh, it's, and we always feel very welcome as players. Uh, so hopefully, uh, you know, uh, I will play well, uh, you know, I'll produce a good performance and a uh, special performance and, uh, and, and hopefully win this time. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, Diego's a top player himself and he's had a very, very 21-22 season himself. Uh, so, so we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, in terms of the season, I think there are uh, a lot of things to look forward to uh, for me. And um, I, I see that as an opportunity for me to, uh, you know, uh, play at, you know, at the best tournaments around the world and, and hopefully go really deep and have some big wins and, and hopefully win the tournaments. And, and we'll see how that goes. But it's, it's, it's one match at a time, one point at a time. Uh, I know I'm in a good place uh, in terms of my preparations for the season with all the work that I did put in for the Commonwealth. Um, uh, I'm in a good headspace as well. Uh, it's a question of, you know, making sure that I keep the body ticking along well, take care of that, uh, stay, keep my mind fresh and uh, just, uh, you know, focus on, on one match at a time and, and, and not look too far ahead uh, and enjoy the process because, you know, time is finite um, and um, I'm very grateful to to be given this opportunity to do what I'm doing. And uh, I'm very happy that I've been able to do this for so long, and hopefully I can do it for a little bit longer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was going to mention a, a little bit later, I, I thought last season, uh, every time I watched you play, with the exception of one or two matches, it looked, I mean, it looks like you're playing, looked like you were playing the best squash of your, your career uh, last season. And, and uh, you know, you had big wins over uh, you know, a guy like Yusuf Ibrahim. Who I, I, I'm just, every time I see him play, it's amazing, right? You must, I mean, he's just, he must be so difficult to play, but he kind of plays a little bit like you uh, uh, in a way. Uh, sir, but uh, I'm just going to ask you against uh, Diego, uh, and, and and to me, he obviously had the season of his uh, career last year as well. He's now top five in the world, I think maybe number four. But uh, you know, you took him to five, and you know, easily could have won that match. But uh, is it is it your quickness and your, your your speed around the court, and also your shot making combined with your quickness that might give him? A bit of trouble every when you play him is that sort of the dynamic uh, that you see look obviously you know i have my strengths he has his strengths uh, speed is obviously one of my strengths but you know he's a good mover himself um i think it comes down to uh, who kind of imposes their squash a bit better uh so you know when i match in at the doc he just did it better in the first fourth and fifth games and i did it better in the second and the third games um, and um, there's kind of fine details which which determine um, who's um, who's executing better or who's imposing themselves better. Um, and uh, hopefully, you know, I can um, I can look into those fine details and execute better this time. Um, but uh, you know, he's 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 a good player himself. And the one thing I'd say is that you know, 
even though he's he's very tough to play, he's enjoyable to play against. You know, he's fair. Uh, you know, he's he's someone that uh, I think both of us get along really well off the court as well. Uh, so he's enjoyable to play. So so that's that's a, that's a positive heading into any match. Um, and hopefully, you know, for my sake, I produce a special performance and I win. Uh, but either or, I just want to make sure that I I just play well and and build on um, uh, the squash that I produced in Birmingham. Uh, and and you know go into the season uh, in a good frame of mind and, and with a good performance in uh, behind behind me. Absolutely, it's a it's a tough uh, first match to play, but uh, I mean, like you said, he's a fair player and uh, he's enjoy like you. Uh, he's enjoyable to watch. So I guess that's sort of you know he just moves around the court so well, play moves the ball around the court really well. So I'm looking forward to that match and uh, all the best. Uh, in that one. Now, I don't know if you'd uh, you'd agree with me or not, but the last season, uh, to me, it seemed like a little bit of a resurgence. Maybe you, you had a couple of uh, losses that maybe you shouldn't have, but uh, some good wins as well. So what do you, uh, you know, envision uh, building on in, in terms of 2022-23? Because it looked to me at the end, towards the end of the season, uh, you you uh, had the opportunity to, to do really well in, in some big events. So you must be looking uh, looking at the top ten at least. Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm quietly confident um, uh, in my abilities right now. Um, I, I think I have a kind of a strong inner belief that um, you know I I'm physically you know pretty good and um, I have the squash to back it up to to not just trouble the top guys but but beat them um, and. Uh, on a few occasions last season, I, I managed to pull out some big wins, uh, like against Yusuf uh, Ibrahim, uh, came close against Diego as well. Um, so yeah, so I think I think the the tools are in place. It's a question of execution now uh, and executing consistently. Um, so again, you know, like I said, the the new season presents uh, another opportunity, uh, another you know, full two like two half seasons, so to say, of of showing myself uh, that you know what I'm capable of uh, at the big events and the big tournaments. Uh, and that's, and that's something which is, um, which is exciting for me. And uh, um, uh, I know that, uh, you know, there are things that I can, I can do better. Uh, there are things that I do do really well and I can, you know, build on those things as well. Um, and it's a question of everything coming together a little bit as well. Um, so, you know, the focus is on, you know, just just going through one match at a time. Uh, again, you know, not looking uh, too far ahead in terms of tournaments. Of course, I have certain tournaments in my mind which I kind of earmark where I want to kind of uh, really make a big push. Uh, but uh, uh, and you know, gear my training towards you know those particular events as much as possible because it's very difficult to kind of peak for for seven tournaments in three months. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so yes, yeah, so I think I think uh, we we have those things in mind. Uh, um, you don't always get them right. It's a little bit of trial and error, but uh, you do the best you can. You try and control the controllables the best you can. Uh, but there are certain things which you can't control, and you gotta leave them and, and not worry about all those things. Um, and, and I think that's what we're trying to focus on. Uh, focus on myself a, a bit more than than maybe what I've done in the past. Uh, not worry about what everyone else is is doing or how everyone else is playing. Of course, you have, um, you know, um, the thought processes about how you want to strategically and tactically play different players, uh, but you kind of focus uh, more on myself and, and see 
uh, you know, what I do really well and what I can do really well to hurt these other players. Um, so, so yeah, so I think that's the mindset that I'm with at this point in time and I'm happy to be in this space right now. Uh, I'm, like I said, I'm grateful and, and, and I feel privileged to be to be playing at the top level uh, after all these years. Um, and, and yeah, you know, I feel like in terms of my squash, I feel... I'm, I feel like I'm playing the best I have played in my entire career. Um, I feel like uh, uh, both mentally, physically, as well as, well as, as well as technically, I have a lot more options um, within me uh, to change things around, uh, to execute different stuff. There are a lot more subtle variations in my game that I have now that I didn't have when I was, like maybe 10 years back uh, or even five years back. Um, so, so that just bodes well for me. And, and and also makes me feel proud that I've managed to add these things at this stage in my career when, you know, I could have easily not, uh, you know, taken the risk, so to say, of, of trying out new things and, and trying to stick with what had gotten me to, let's say, a top 20, um, but maybe not gone higher. Whereas now I genuinely feel that I do have the squash game to to make it into the top 10, top 8 and, and, and really push high. Uh, but I know that I have to produce that in the tournaments, in the matches, um, and, and I'm going to try and do my best uh, to do that, and, and hopefully it will happen for me in this coming season. That's brilliant, yeah. Now, you do, uh, you've do. you been training in Pontefract for quite a few years, and back uh, during the time when, obviously, rest, may rest in peace, and Malcolm Wilstrip uh, uh, was there, and... Uh, uh, it's been a little while since he passed, I think uh, just over a year now. And um, yeah. well, I haven't uh, spoken to you since then. So just in terms of uh, Pontefract and, uh, and uh, Malcolm, uh, what impact uh, did he have on, obviously on you as a player and as a person uh, during your time with him? I mean, for the most part, the professional player I am today is because of him. Uh, I wouldn't be uh, where I am. Uh, I wouldn't achieve what I have achieved in my career if it wasn't for me going to Pontefract when I was uh, 18, 19 years old uh, and uh, training with Malcolm. He He's the one who's basically put the building blocks in place uh, for my game. And I don't think words are enough to uh, quantify the, the value that he has brought uh, to my game uh, and also my life as a person. Uh, I think we our relationship uh, went far beyond the squash court. Um, you know, he was someone who uh, I could have conversations with, uh, uh, which had nothing to do with squash. You know, just life, and and I think those are the conversations I probably miss them miss more than even the squash ones today. Um, so you know, going to Pontefract has been um, one of the best decisions I ever made in my life, and uh, I know so many good people from there, and. Uh, it's something that I will always uh, treasure for the rest of my life. Um, I think, uh, I, you know, it's it's really sad that he's not there now. But, uh, you know, he's left a legacy in place, uh, which, which will always be remembered. There will never be another like him. Uh, and I don't think anyone uh, can even try to be like him. It's going to be uh, an exercise in futility if someone even tries. Uh, so uh, I think... Um, I went back to Pontefract after after Birmingham for the first time since the pandemic. Actually, it was good to see the club was still vibrant and 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 you know a lot of people and kids still playing and uh, and I really hope that uh, um, you know the club continues on with the 
uh, with the legacy of of bringing so many good players uh, from that from that place, and uh, I'm sure uh, you know the people there uh, like Mick Dodd and, and James, obviously, uh, you know, will will do all they can to carry on that tradition because I think that's Malcolm's true legacy of of what he uh, managed in in Pontefract. Um, so yeah, so he's 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 someone that uh, you know I will always remember very very fondly, and uh, it will always be a a big loss and a big void uh, in in not just my life but everyone's lives we touched. Um, so so yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, that's I mean, you're what you're saying here is pretty much exactly what everyone else has said about him. He's had such an impact on everyone's uh, squash and life uh, that he's had uh, uh, in in Pontefract over the years. And no doubt that the vibe uh, will, with uh, Malcolm's uh, influence, will remain for for as long as Pontefract is there. It's in good hands, it seems. You know, you've got uh, obviously James and uh, Mick Todd and uh, the other, you know, guys like Patrick Rooney who are, are you know, carrying uh, the torch as well as you and and others. So. Now, uh, Sarv, you uh, you took on the role of uh, PSA men's uh, president uh, recently, uh, so uh, that, that's a, that's another exciting new uh, uh, thing to to add to your resume uh, alongside your your squash credentials. But um, so, did you succeed, Al? Was Ali Frag in that role prior to you? Right. Okay. So you're you're his successor. So what does the role in, entail? I know I spoke to Ali about it a little bit, but uh, that was a while ago, and I'm getting old, I forget. Uh, what, what, what does the, the role entail, uh, actually? So, I mean, um, so obviously, like myself and, and Sarah Jane Perry from the women's, uh, we are the two presidents of the PSA board. Um, so we, uh, uh, we obviously, you know, all major decisions with regards to the PSA World Tour have to go through the board. Um, also, uh, certain decisions which don't go through the board, but the office communicates it with us so that, you know, they have uh, uh, some sort of standing with, with the player side of things uh, through us. Um, I think it's also a question of, um, because obviously both of us are still playing professionally. Uh, it's not a full-time job for us. It's a question of, you know, which, which areas we want to... Uh, uh, focus on uh, greatly and prioritize. Um, and, and personally, I think, uh, you know, there are so many things that, that you know, the PSA World Tour and the Challenger Tour can do can do well. I think we've done uh, really well over the last few years and we've come a long way. But like anything in life, there are things that can be improved and, and, and gotten better. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of day-to-day things uh, which I try not to get involved in as much. Uh, because it's very difficult. Um, what I try to, to focus on are, are kind of decisions and, and, and moves which, which will have long-term impacts uh, for, the, for the PSA World Tour. Uh, obviously, you know, I have the players' interests in mind and, and I want to make sure that um, you know, we, uh, we recognize and, and compensate and uh, and uh, you know, show the value and appreciate what the players bring to the game because you know, at the end of the day, the players are our product. Uh, without the players, uh, nothing exists. So we try and do that, and um, of course, looking at that side of thing, we have to see how best we can get promoters to do um, you know things that will help grow the sport as much as possible, uh, showcase the sport in, in the best way possible. 
um we don't get it right every single time um we we but we what i can say what says that uh, we uh, uh we have best intentions in mind uh and uh, our intent is is to uh make squash uh much bigger increase the the audience try and get a lot more of the non squash captive audience to start watching the sport and appreciate what a lovely and great sport this is um and i think if we can manage to do that uh then uh, we would go a long way in in succeeding as as a board and and and, and as a tour uh to uh, to really take the sport of squash forward uh, at a global scale yeah uh, that that's a big uh, discussion point now on on the squash social media sites like in on facebook there's a there are a couple of communities the squash stories and uh, the global squash uh, marketing uh, website and that's a big issue you, I, you see a lot of guys are they're saying that the, the PSA doesn't do anything to help grow the game and I, I argue against that I said we don't know what they're doing like how do we know we, we we really don't know and and I think you brought that uh, you know you raise a good point here you are trying to grow the game it's just not playing professional squash we don't see what's going on uh behind the scenes uh yeah i think i think it's important to understand that uh, you know the the psa is the professional squash association right and we have a finite amount of resources uh so there are a lot of ways to grow the game right and our focus is to grow the game through the professional sport um the question of grassroots development uh is more the onus of the world squash federation um and uh, that is something that they are trying to do um as best they can uh what we are trying to do is we are trying to grow the professional game so that it inspires a lot more people to start playing the game uh by having something of an aspirational value through the professional game that we present to the world right i mean i'm i'm kind of like uh putting it all in a very small nutshell uh right. so it's, it's like complicated than that but uh, i think that's uh, that's kind of our our gambit uh, and that's where we we come in as a as a tour um we would love uh, as a, as an organization to do it all but unfortunately we don't have the the resources that's not, that's not your scope is it right uh, you're a professional player and you do what you can do as a pro player to grow the game exactly. and, and uh, it sounds like you're thinking you know we these days obviously with the growth of the uh, huge growth of uh, the other sports like paddle we all we hear about it all the time pickle or what, whatever uh, yeah we ha- we can't worry about that can we we have to do our own thing i mean look i think uh, there are things that we can do uh, slightly better uh, like i was having this discussion with with a few people uh, squash is a very hard sport you know it's uh, it's not a sport where you know uh, normal tom dick and harry would go into play to for recreation because you got to be mad right almost because it's such a hard sport right. so i think the thing definitely needs to be done with the ball a little bit uh you know for for recreational sport i don't think using the uh the you know the two yellow dot uh, for for recreational sport is the way to go because if you do, if you don't hit the ball well enough then it's very difficult to get rallies going and then it's not fun anymore so i think uh, at the professional level and at a competitive level 
that's absolutely fine because obviously you know we can do that but i think at the recreational level you need to get balls which are a lot bouncier so that people can have fun playing it i think one of the reasons why uh, padel or padel whatever you want to call it is is doing really well is because it's easy to play and it's fun right so so i think that's something that we as a sport need to learn from uh, we can't be entrenched you know totally in tradition and say no this is the ball and this is what we need to use every time anyone plays right that shouldn't be the thing we have to look outward and we have to see uh, you know what is going to bring more people on the squash courts around the world um that's my same argument about you know best of 3 or best of 5 um i um you know every time players ask me that what do you think do you think should we do best of 3 at all or because squash is a physical sport and you know it's gladiatorial and, and best of 5 is the true test and blah 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 and i'm like i agree with you but at the end of the day um if you know we can get non squash playing people to start watching squash uh if it's best of 3 that's going to raise money in the game and you're going to get paid more so will you play best of 3 or will you play best of 5 and Of course, we're going to play best of three if we're going to get paid more, right? Uh, but that's not to say that best of five doesn't have its place. Best of five is always going to be uh, the game, you know, the the match and the format which is going to stick. It's like uh, best of five at the Grand Slams in in tennis. Yeah. It's always going to be best of five, right? But all the other events are best of three. I'm now. I'm not saying that every other event in uh, in squash, except the platinum events in the World Championships, should become best of three. But all I'm saying is that it's, in my opinion, it's not an argument of philosophy here. It's uh, it's an argument of what is getting more people to come watch the sport, both on TV as well as at venues. And if best of three is doing that, then we have to play best of three in some places. Right. If if best of five is doing it, by all means, we should play only best of five. Right. So I think that is important to understand. You know, we on one hand we can't say that um, we want more money in the sport. We want you know a greater exposure of the game. Um, but then on the other hand, say that no, we have to be really rigid with with whatever we want to do in, in terms of our traditions. I think we have to be open. Um, we have to find the balance. uh we can't let every tradition go away because that's what makes a sport what it is but um we have to be open to to dialogue and we have to be open to reason and open to evidence i think that's the most important thing it's not about feel it's about actual numbers right you have to look at numbers coming from uh tournaments uh showing a particular kind of hypothesis and seeing that okay this is what is actually working um and and then follow through on them uh and over a certain amount of time you know one offs cannot be used as examples to say that okay like someone can't come and say okay we had a best of 3 event in let's say net suite open in san francisco and it was a great um uh you know uh presentation of the game and so many people watched it and said okay now everything has to be best of 3 no we have to look at different regions uh where it works why it works how it works and see if that works and i mean this is just on best of 5 and best of 3 there are so many other issues with similar kind of dynamics in play which um is um, there are people like you know like very against a particular thing or very for it uh, and it's very divisive uh, but at the end of the day object decisions have to be made objectively and not based on emotion uh, because that's how a business works and that's how you really grow the game 
So that, that, that's all I have to say that, you know, we have to look at, we have to make uh, our decisions more evidence-based rather than say that, oh, you know, I feel that this works better. Or I feel that, you know, this is, this is better for the game. So that's, that's, that, that's just where I come from. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, squash, uh, the pro game is really, I think it's evolved a lot uh, over the last little while. Unfortunately, growth of the game is dealing with other issues, but uh, um, you know, things like changing the scoring to 11, I think that was a, a good move. Uh, things like, uh, you know, introducing the video uh, review system, although it has its uh, moments where it, it's kind of strange. Uh, it, it, it's also added some uh, flavor and value. Uh, the rule changes, uh, but a few hiccups, but overall uh, some good positive uh, results there. So yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. So uh, let's see how that plays out. Sarva, you've been good with your time. I just wanted to get uh, just a couple of other things. As president as well, um, just wondering, uh, you know, there were a few controversial uh, issues there last season with the, with the you know, Mustafa Saul's band with the shore baggy uh, getting, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, which event was it where he, uh, he lost the last two points on a penalty against a Paul Cole. I forget what, what that was, but is there, are these uh, issues, uh, things that uh, maybe that come to you and may, maybe you have to go out there and uh, support a player, uh, support these guys and under those circumstances, or is it just, uh, something that you try to avoid or uh, I, I don't know. No, so I've I've made it uh, I've made it my mission almost to to stay away from these things. So I'm not on the disciplinary committee. Uh, so a lot of players do come. Not a disciplinarian, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of players did come to me initially, but now they know that I'm not on the disciplinary committee. So so I don't get um, prior information about someone getting banned or whatever. I get to know it at the same time as the rest of the membership does. Um, I just feel that uh, with me being a, a fellow player currently active, um, it is a conflict of interest for me to, uh, you know, either support or, um, you know, um, or vote against or whatever uh, a particular decision regarding another player. Um, so I, 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 I purposely want to stay away from that. Um, I think... Uh, um, there are obviously, again, you know, these are issues which are very divisive with the, with the general public. Um, <laughs> and I completely understand the emotion and I, and I empathize with that emotion. Uh, but, um, you know, the, there is, uh, I think the important thing um, that uh, I'm not saying it is done or it hasn't been done because, I, again, people will argue it has or hasn't been. But I think the important thing is to have consistency. Uh, with, with 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 all players the same um, so um, you know not just going purely by reputation if someone doesn't isolate an incident which is you know bad behavior they need to be punished as badly um, you know at the end of the day uh, the the uh, the breach of of uh, con uh, whatever the conduct or or bad behavior or whatever each incident needs to be taken into account in in isolation and and looked at uh, of course you know it's like like in football you know you you have like uh, you know you make like four or five really small fouls and then the fifth one you get a yellow card even though that fifth one is not as bad a yellow card foul right so yeah. so i think in that sense yes your past demeanor kind of does play against you a little bit uh, and i think players need to keep that in mind um, at the end of the day you know it's it's always better if the game is free-flowing, if 
players behave themselves um, as best they can. I'm not saying you know you don't want emotion. I think emotion is something that brings color to our game, brings color to sport, brings color to life, and it's always it's always good to have that. It's always good to have the drama, but there is a line between. um you know having emotion and and behaving badly so so you can have emotion and you know you know for example asal celebrations for example right now some people hate it some people love it right i think for me i'm i don't have celebrations like that but i'm not i i don't think no no yeah but i don't think i don't think he should be penalized for those celebrations because no. he's doing it afterwards and blah 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 he can do whatever it it adds you know flavor to the game but you know if you're you know speaking rudely to the referee for example or uh your kind of uh smashing equipment outside the court or you know you're you're getting in the way a lot and you know blocking or all those things then it just makes the game not so enjoyable to watch and and i feel like those are the things which which i think there's a responsibility on every player themselves to make sure that they don't do that uh to make sure that they win based on their squash as much as possible uh because they're all fantastic squash players including mustafa asal i mean i think he's a fantastic squash player i think he has brought um a lot of good things in terms of his squash to the game um uh, to the world of squash and and he honestly doesn't need to do some of the stuff that he does in my opinion to be the player he is or to to succeed at the highest level and and he's proved that time and again when he has won some tournaments and won some big matches so so i think he can you know he for example could cut a few things out right i mean i get along fine with him but you know like yeah. there are times when he's he's over the top and there are other people as well who are who are over the top in their in their own ways and and i think there's a responsibility on the players to make sure that they uh you know behave in a, in a particular way which is befitting uh you know playing at the at the at the top level and there's also responsibility uh for the referees to manage manage matches um as well as they possibly can um uh, and making sure that you know they are communicating in the right way from from very early on in the match so that it goes in the right direction and there is a responsibility for the PSA as as a as an organization as well to to communicate with with players as best we can so that we can produce uh the best product for the world to see uh and, and at the end of the day i'm sure everyone wants that uh and and hopefully we will have that more going into the new season absolutely really well said sir that's pure gold right there um now i wanted to i i had norang gohar on just the other day and obviously i brought up the with uh, the, the the where she hit the uh, hamami with the ball there you probably saw that just absolutely nailed her with it. <laughs> but uh but I, i think that you know what led to that was obviously was the the previous call that she was he was given a no let on the same pretty much like a similar in- situation off the back wall but she was told she had room Uh now you as a player me even as a player I mean sometimes when we're when the ball's coming off the back wall you're not you know you don't really know where your opponent is if they're directly in front of you or just off to the side uh so in those occasion on those occasions like before a tournament should uh, do you think the onus should be on the officiating committee to send out maybe a message we're going to you know we're going to we're going to be calling no lets on this or we're going to be you know we're going to give safety lets on this uh, is the onus uh, may, uh, or just speak to other elements of the game where 
you know, free flowing squash is a priority and officials uh, indicate that to players in the lead up or just prior to an event. Yeah. Okay, so this is my personal opinion and not the PSA's opinion. So I just want to make that clear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just feel, uh, you know, traditionally, uh, the the thought process with regards to giving lets or strokes off the back wall um, is, is very different to when the ball comes, when you like the point of contact is before the back wall. And ever since I've been a kid, I've never understood that. Um, I've always thought that if a person is in the way, whether the ball comes at the back wall or you take it on the volley or you take it on the bounce before the back wall, the concept of giving a let or stroke should always be the same. So if the person is in your swing or right in front of you, whether it comes off the back wall or not, it should be a stroke. Um, if, um, if the ball is, is there and there is some, uh, some interference which might occur because you might hit the ball or whatever, whether it's off the back wall or whether it's uh, you know, off the bounce, it should be a safety let. And if the, if the person is clear, your opponent is clear, whether it's off the back wall or whether it's, you know, just a normal shot that you're hitting, it should be a no let. It shouldn't be more complicated than that. Um, I don't know why, uh, to be honest, uh, that is not the line which is taken. There might be things where I don't know about, but in my entire career, I, I haven't figured out why. Uh, so, Nuran Gohar's case, um, I, I'm pretty sure she knew where Hanya was. Uh, I think all of us know at the top level where your opponent is. Um, you know, uh, sometimes when you hit the ball, every time you hit the ball, it doesn't go pinpoint accuracy every time exactly where. So you hit people by mistake. Um, and I would like to think that Nuran was trying to hit the cross court and she missed her mark by a little bit. And then obviously smacked Hania. Yeah. And I would definitely not be not want to be in Hania's position on that day, getting hit by Nuran, uh, who absolutely cranks it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, that is something that kind of the refereeing panel kind of needs to look into a little bit to avoid certain things. I think it needs to be a lot more clear cut. Um, I think these things wouldn't occur if if they did give strokes, uh, which, you know, like, like when she hit Hania, for example, I think Hania was pretty much straight in her like kind of straight line hit. Right? And... Um, that if if Nuran stops in that position, if she gets a stroke, then she's not going to hit the ball. She's going to take a stroke, right? So so I think um, if they do manage to give the strokes, then that works. Then if the person, if Hanya does make an effort to move out and gives her a little bit of space, then it, if, if the whole wall is open for her, then it's a no let. But if the whole wall isn't open and she's still maybe in position, she could probably get a let. So I think sometimes, you know, like, you know, Joey and PJ say on, on commentary, sometimes it's just a let, you know, yeah. it doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes it's just a let. It doesn't have to be a argument in your head or a debate in your head, whether it's a no let or a stroke or a let. Sometimes it's just a let. There's no other decision in play there. So I think sometimes common sense has to prevail. I think the no let that she got before kind of riled her up a little bit. And the heat of the moment, she yeah, absolutely went. Two out of three it, format, right? Uh, that, that's what yeah. she said. She said it's a two out of three. That point was yeah. a big point. Yeah. So, I mean, she went for it. And, and, and I mean, again, you know, her, 
her reputation on on tour when she's on court precedes her so she's ruthless right so that kind of goes against her a little bit and everyone's like she hit her on purpose and hania i'm sure thinks that she hit her on purpose and hania's a really nice girl as well and i feel really bad for her i mean i i i remember watching it i was like oh no that must have hurt yeah. but you know, the things she's really she's really really nice i i know what you mean but she is ultra ultra uh, feisty and competitive. Competitive. for sure she is she is, you know, and and I think it, it gets it. difficult. I love it. Uh, the rivalry between those two is unlike any other rivalry on tour, men or women. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and I think uh, it's 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 good for the for the women's game. It's good for the for the sport. Uh, but you know, sometimes there are things that happen, and you know, in the heat of the moment, things happen, and it's very difficult to kind of. Uh, justify them or or explain them uh, but hopefully we won't have uh, such painful scenarios happening in the new oh, season uh, and, and we'll uh, we'll we'll see some uh, instead we'll be talking about some ridiculous shot making so so yeah hopefully absolutely yeah well the both of them are absolute uh, legends on the court just tremendous squash uh, yeah. all, all the time so that yeah that was a one off let's say yeah um yeah the worst i've ever been hit i got hit in the temple once Oh, okay. That's not nice. No, no. And uh, yeah, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but uh, we'll say it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Saurav, uh, really, really appreciate your time. Um, you're going to be heading off to Doha in a few days. So I want to wish you all the best in that event. A tough, uh, great first round match with the, to get your season started against Diego. So all the best with that. All the best uh, to uh, your family and to the season upcoming. And thanks again. For coming on thanks just take care well many thanks to uh to Sor for that it was fantastic really really great job great chatting with him and want to wish him all the best heading into the 22 2022 season and in his role as the psa men's president as i said he's got plenty of momentum uh, after last season i thought he uh, he had a, a really good season had some good wins and looked uh, looked competitive in all the matches uh, that he played against the top players so uh, all the best to Sorf and and uh, hopefully uh, he has another season and building on last one at the age of 36 that would be incredible it's been done before i mean james wilstrup is still uh, has been still playing quite well we saw gregory gaultier doing well borja uh, playing extremely well uh, in his la- in the latter stages of his career so i'm sure Sorif, uh will do the same maybe maybe even uh, move up uh, in the ranks uh, i think his highest ever world ranking might have been 10 definitely made it into the top 10 so uh, maybe he can uh, can reach that again uh, in this uh, upcoming season. It's going to be tough, though. It's going to be an exciting uh, season. Lots of young uh, talent coming through, and and everyone in the top ten there right now certainly deserves to be there. So looking forward to the season starting up very soon. And on the podcast, uh, very shortly, we'll have uh, Daryl Selby. How do I know that? Because it's already finished. Finished speaking with uh, Daryl a few days ago, and you won't want to miss that one. It was fantastic. Daryl having just retired, but still uh, playing a few events having recently won an event uh, just uh, I believe it was last uh, weekend so uh, Daryl Selby will be on Josh Taylor the coach 
of the World Junior Championship Team England. He's going to be coming on, and we're going to talk about that amazing accomplishment for them and how that all played out and a bit about his backstory. Uh, we're also going to have Ben Ford coming up uh, very soon, the coach to Gina Kennedy, and much, much more. We've got lots going on here on the podcast, so, so stay tuned for that. Again, want to thank my sponsor, Open Squash, and I want to thank you, the listeners. Please, I've had some great commentary uh, on the uh, social, and please keep uh, keep up the communication with me. Love uh, hearing from you, your feedback on the podcast. So take care, have a great day, and we'll be talking to you very soon. Goodbye now.